here we are. We're here. Yeah, we're here. We're here. You're here. I'm here. We're all here. Man, I'm, I've, I've, I just got to speak for the first time not to a camera in the last gathering. It was just fantastic. I mean, the camera responds much the same as most of you do some of the time, but... pre-written jokes, you know. Yeah, the camera doesn't laugh at any of them, though, even when they're bad, so it's good to have you here. Um, we, I, I want to just uh, talk tonight about some of the things that I feel like God's put on um, our heart for the year, and uh, I think they really matter, and as I speak about them, I think that they, all of the words have both like an individual aspect, but also like a collective aspect of like what God wants to do in you and in me, but also what God might want to do with us. And so it'd be good if you could hear them like with both of those sort of lenses on and uh, pay attention to perhaps what the Spirit is really like um, pressing on you tonight. Uh, and probably a lot of it, but in particular, what exactly is he pressing on you in your life? I've been uh, really, uh, no, we won't start there. Uh, should have planned how to start. That would have been good for first week back. Um, but I thought, I'll just feel it, you know, and we'll figure it out then. You know, as, as I think about um, different years and different seasons, we all have a way of like labeling them. I don't know if, if you do that. Like sometimes we label them in anticipation, like what we hope a year or what we hope a summer or what we hope a season is going to be. And we might put a word on it. It's like, it's going to be fun or it's going to be great or it's going to be um, whatever it is. And, and then you have like when you look back on the summer or you look back on the year, you have a word that you normally label it with. And often it wasn't the word that you started with. Like 2020, like I heard so many people like, I was so excited for 2020, start of a new decade, it's going to be awesome. Maybe you were like, you know, it's like your final year in school is your first year at uni. I don't know what it's like. There's something to be excited about. And then it only took till March <laughs> for whatever word you labeled it with to get replaced with another word that you would label it with. And then, you know, it was like, oh, well, that was a rude interruption. And we got to 2021, very naive thinking, oh, that's okay, that's behind us now. And then realize that any hopes you had for 2021 quickly got a worse word than 2020 got. And so here we get at 2022, and it would, like nobody would probably blame you for being a bit jaded. Or a bit like, oh, I'll just take it as it comes. No hopes no expectations, not even a label almost, which is a lay, I know, right? Yeah, come on. <laughs> the camera doesn't do that. That's fantastic. And no label is, of course, a label in itself. <laughs> um, no label is a label in itself. And, and I wonder if the things that we say over, like the things that we label or mark or would say about a season or a summer or a year are the same words God would say. I wonder often if we see it the same way God sees it. And I know the answer to that. The answer is no, we don't. But I wonder if, if under the understanding that we don't see it and label it the same way God sees it, that we would be willing to exchange our labels for his. Even having been disappointed in the past, 
even having had everything that you felt like God might have said to you not come true yet, if you would still accept God's label over what is to come in your life. Psalm 65, verse 11, says this. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest, even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. You crown the year, you mark the year, you label the year, you encircle the year, you wrap up the year and tie it off with a bow, and the thing that you tie it off with is with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. What's this talking about? This psalm is, if you read the whole thing, and I'd encourage you to reflect on it during the week, if you read the psalm in its context, it's a psalm where the psalmist is in the agricultural sort of farming society, is reflecting about how God is this great cosmic gardener. He's the gardener of all gardeners. And if anyone knows how to bring forth life and how to send rain and how to make things grow out of the soil, the psalmist is like, God, our cosmic gardener knows how to make things grow. He's so good at it. All glory to him. And then he gets to this, this one line in his psalm and he says, you crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. In an agricultural society, a bountiful harvest is everything. Here in, you know, in the bay, we grow a lot of kiwi fruit. And at this point, at this point, we, you know, growers, they've counted up their fruit. They know what's on the vines. And all that's left is the weather gap between now and picking and making sure that's right and getting the fruit to come off the vines at the right time. And they do a little ring barking thing and they try and get the plant to put as much sugar and growth and energy into that thing as possible. And if they can get the numbers that they are anticipating as far as how many thousands of kiwi fruits per hectare, it's a bountiful harvest. If you're growing gold kiwi fruit, maybe if you can get up to 22, 25,000 trays per hectare. Is that right, Stephen? Yep. It's a bountiful harvest. And if you're that orchardist and you've got a bountiful harvest, that means you have a great year. It means that you're not only you've got enough to take care of your needs, you've got enough to be generous with, you've got some cause for celebration, you've got enough to invest in future things in the year, you've got a buffer. A bountiful harvest is life. A bountiful harvest is the actual Hebrew word is goodness. You crown the year with goodness. You know, when you set up the Christmas tree, you crown it with your best ornament on top, right? It's like it can be like the kids can put whatever rubbish they put down here, but they don't get to decide what goes on top. Mum and dad decide what goes on top. It's the star or the angel or whatever it is. It's the one passed down through the family. See, through our seasons and through our times, we often try to label our seasons and we try to label our years, but God gets to decide what it gets crowned with. God gets to decide the final word over your life. God gets to decide the final word over this year, and I feel like God is saying to us as a church, would you accept his label as your label over the year? 
that this is a year of a bountiful harvest, even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. That's like, even Jesus said the hard pathways, they don't grow stuff in the parable of the sower. He says the seed gets snatched away from there, but such is the psalmist's reflection that God is such a good gardener, and anybody that's tried gardening would know this was preposterous and has to be God, that you can't make good things grow on the concrete. But God is so good at gardening that he can make even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. Even the hard parts of your lives, the hard hurts, the hard seasons, the things that you're shut off with, God can make those grow with abundance. He can bring fruit where nobody else could bring fruit. And I felt like the Lord say, if he's crowned the year with a bountiful harvest, why don't you start speaking about the year that way? Which takes a bit of faith, right? Because we know that the year is going to be filled with challenges, Right, like we, we know it's going to at least be filled with changes. There's going to be like 50,000 more government policies. Just when you think you've got three lights, then you've got three phases, does that mean now we have nine lights? Is there three phases for each of the colors? I don't know. We know that there's going to be these things, and every time there's one of these things, there's a new way we have to do things, and there's a new rule at school, and there's a new thing at uni, and there's a new thing in work, and every time that happens, it's like a whole other reason to either get anxious or frustrated, or it's another distraction, or whatever it is. We know the year's going to be filled with that. We know there's going to have a lot of disruptions. We know you're going to have to isolate, you have to do different things. Like That's inevitable. And then when that happens, you're going to have to do somebody else's work and they're going to have to do your work. And, and then there's going to be sickness for some. Not like, you know, hey, let's all get it. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's, it's like it's, some are going to get sick, whether it's from that or just the flu this year or, you know, we have a, a there's a lot of people who call the church home. Somebody's going to get cancer this year and, that stuff's going to come at us. Some people are going to lose jobs and lose loved ones. Like that's the reality of life. That's the stuff on the tree. But what are you going to crown it with? What's going to be the final word over it? What's going to be the final thing that you label this year with? And I believe the Lord would have you label it as he labels it. He crowns the year with goodness. He crowns the year with his harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. I had a few different words that I felt the Lord speak to me. It's going to be a great year, was the first one. It's going to be a great year. You know, we could just keep diving into this thing, because all through the Scriptures, people label things as certain ways, and God labels them differently. Like, people labeled blind Bartimaeus as a blind beggar and told him to stay in his place. But Jesus called him from the side of the road and said, what can I do for you? And turned him into a seeing follower. Or like Jairus, who was a leader of a synagogue, comes to Jesus to ask for help and healing for his daughter, but Jesus turns up a bit late. And so she's already dead and everyone's like, don't bother Jesus because the young girl is dead and Jesus goes, nah, she's just sleeping. And they did exactly that. They laughed. They're in full mourning. 
and then he brings her back to life. And just when they think they killed Jesus, he comes back to life. And so God has a habit of having the last word, so why not ask our word just be his word? I think so much of it is just how we see it. If we could learn to see that God is working in everything. If you think of the year Jesus was born, that was a really crappy year for his nation. They were been suffering at that point about 50 years of oppression under the Roman Empire, which was a cruel, brutal empire. Like, you, you know, we talk about anti-colonialism. This is like where colonialism, this is OG, you know, like they just hang people up on crosses on the side of the street just to remind everybody who's in control. Beat you, they could take your property, they could overtax you, they could force you to stop whatever you're doing and help them. You had no free will, really, in that respect, in civil duties. They'll force you to go to war, do whatever they want. And I'd imagine people on the year Jesus was born would have said a lot of things about that year. That if only they knew that our great gardener God had crowned the year with a bountiful harvest. And just when you look through the natural, you see nothing but bad. But if you could look through God's eyes, you could see that God's on the move. That God's bringing about life and fruit, if only we would let him. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a year of reimagining. A couple of scriptures that I want to bring together, I'll share them with you first. Isaiah 43 verse 18 says, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, says the Lord. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness and I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. In Jeremiah 6, 16, which feels like the opposite of this, but we'll bring it together. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around Ask for the old godly way. In some translations, says the ancient paths and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. Something new, something ancient, something old. And Jesus said this in Matthew 19, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. You know, they didn't put it in bottles back in the day. They're just in a wineskin, like a leather thing. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. But then in this other version of that same thing, Jesus finishes off by saying, but nobody, once they've tasted the old vintage, never ever wants the new. You're like, Jesus, you're like, it's so hard to follow you. What are you actually saying? I thought I got it, like that we need to be new wine skins so we can house the new wine that... You know, that's what you're doing now. But then you said, but once you've tasted the old vintage, you want that. And I think it's a year of reimagining. I think where you, where we, we need to reimagine our lives. We need to let God's imagination shape our imagination for our lives. Not let our culture, not let our circumstances, not let the ways we've hemmed our own lives in or decided how they should be or the things we've built up as all the things that we've defined our lives by, but we need to reimagine them with God. And that reimagining is something new and it's something old. There's ancient paths that faithful followers of Jesus have learned to foster Christ-likeness in their lives and make a difference with Him in this world for centuries. 
We don't need to make it up. But something of that doesn't mean that God's going to do exactly what he did then because he always wants to do something new. It's the old and the new is what needs to be fused as we reimagine. And in this time, lots of people have reevaluated their lives, but reevaluating is not the same as reimagining. Reevaluating is about like looking at your priorities and just looking at the, you know, how you're spending your time and what maybe brings you life and what takes life from you, what brings you joy and takes joy from you. And just in your own selfish motive, you reevaluate to make life work better for you. And many people have reevaluated over the last two years, changed career, changed working habits, focused on different things. And under the guise of like, maybe we use these other like terms like family or I just want to be more slow or more rested or we can do all these things but sometimes we have to be honest what we're really being is more selfish and more self-centered and trying to be more self-sustainable but when we reimagine with God he actually calls us to selflessness and yes he causes us the sustainability but not in our own strength in him And so God is wanting us to reimagine our lives. Not a single person who met Jesus and offered up their lives to them didn't have to reimagine their lives. Oh, I did care about these things, but since I've met Jesus, now I care about these things. Oh, I did used to do this with my time, but now that I've met Jesus, I follow him with my time. Oh, I did used to watch 13 hours of Netflix a day, but now that I've met Jesus, I read the verse of the day and watch 12 hours and 58 minutes. Big transformation. <laughs> reimagine our purpose, reimagine our calling, reimagine what we thought the world was about, reimagine how we see ourselves, reimagine how we see other people, reimagine how we see our part in the world. There isn't a single thing if you let Jesus touch it that he won't call you to reimagine it and see it his way. That's what his word helps us do. That's what he said would happen in Joel 2 verse 28 and says, then after doing all those things, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. See, when you meet Jesus, the spirit comes upon you and dwells within you and causes you to see differently, reimagining things. And so I think it's a year of reimagining with the wisdom of the old and the open-handedness of the new. Reimagining. We've been, I've been reimagining. I feel like I'm always, re, always reimagining. Probably drives people nuts. But um, particularly over the last two years, just reimagining what it means to pastor and how I see my role in the church and what God sees for me. And then we've been re, that's caused us to reimagine what are we even doing here in our church life and how we do it and why we do it. Because we don't want to, we want the ancient wisdom, but we don't want to be stuck in the old ways. We don't want to just be a product of our time. We want to be a part of what God is doing now. And reimagining can be like a little bit scary because in reimagining, you have to lay things down before you're given anything new. But this is reimagining, and I believe God wants to call you to reimagine your life. If it's a year of reimagining, it's definitely going to be a year of change. Reimagining sounds romantic. Change hard work. (laughs) Somebody could do it for me, great but they can't. God's going to move some stuff around, ready or not. 
Lamentations 3.40 says, let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. Man, what a verse for our time. Let's have a look at the way we're living. In church, let's reorder our lives under God. Not reorder our lives under COVID, not reorder our lives under our own hopes and dreams, but reorder them under God. A year of prayer. A year of prayer. Katie and I, the more I've sat with this one, the more I feel the Spirit stirring for some significant change in my life and in the church's life in regards to prayer. A year of prayer. We're called to pray. Jesus told a story about a persistent widow. He told it for this whole perspective to say, pray and never lose heart. He said, pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. He said that his house should be called a house of prayer. And when I look at the ancient paths of those who have followed God faithfully through the centuries, the mark on their life is always prayer. Prayer is not a token gesture. Prayer is not just a cry for help. They had a life of prayer. And I had to confront my own life and go, I don't think that's a mark in my life. And what about you? What about in our church? Are we a prayerful church? Or are we just the church who prays every now and then? There's a big difference. Some of the prayers I've been praying have been about, if you're new here, I've actually been praying for you for some time. A lot of people left our church last year for all different sorts of reasons. So I've been praying for them, definitely, but I've been praying for the people that would come and praying that not only would this community be a blessing to you, but also praying that something, just praying for your life, that God would get a full hold of it. I've been praying, Katie and I were just even praying this morning in our prayer time, we're praying that God would just set Curate on fire. That somehow we would go, you know, like if you look at like words over a generation in the natural, I would look at like people my age and younger and go, the word would have to be jaded. <laughs> Which comes out in sort of like apathetic, like it just comes out and like, oh, who knows? Like, because I remember growing up and like the people like in the generation ahead, they were like protesting things and passionate about things and, and now we're just watching Netflix, you know? Like it's things have changed and I look at it and I've just been thinking about this idea of what if a jaded people could become a jealous people? Like jealous for the things of God. Jealous for God. Like just like, I want that. I want that above all else. I've been praying because I realize as a pastor, I can't do a sermon that's going to create that. And I can't have a conversation that's going to make that happen in somebody's life. That has to be a God thing for the jaded to become jealous. And I, I just fill my heart with such joy tonight to hear the fire in worship. God already answering prayer, a year of prayer. A year of faith. What the heck is faith? Hebrews 11.6 says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Man, it must be pretty important to have it then. But what is it? And how do you know if you have it or not? 
Have you ever asked these questions? Is, it, is faith just saying the right words, or is it like really agreeing? Like, yes. Not just agreeing. Is it really feeling it, or is it something else? Does faith mean that you don't have any doubt? If you have any doubts, does that mean you no longer have faith? What is faith? Some of the ancients, they talked about faith as it begins with, it begins by agreeing with God. It, it begins like in the mind, if you would, by agreeing with God, but it doesn't stop there. It goes from the mind to the heart and becomes what we would call trusting. Not just tr- not trusting for like this thing to happen or that thing to happen, not faith for a thing, faith in God. So trusting that with God, it'll be okay. That you'll make it through. With God, you can float. You won't sink. But then it doesn't stop there. They talk about how it gets even deeper and the soul or the will would be the best way to talk about it. And it becomes like, they use the word fidelity. And it would be like, because we've got some engaged people here, it would be like when two people get married they say no to all other things in this world and say yes in their soul. It says that the two become one. And so when it gets even deeper, it's like you and God become one. Not that you become God, but your life becomes wedded to him when faith gets to that place. So you, your allegiance is clear. And then, But it doesn't stop there. It actually comes back to your eyes. And it, they called it visio, vision. When faith has got to the depths of who you are, you can know it because you start seeing differently. You used to see COVID as something to be afraid of, but now you can see how God is at work through it. You used to see the world as out to get you, but now you see God at work through the world trying to bring life to you. This is how you know faith has got to the deepest part. And we saw it in Jesus because people hate suffering. And people uh, couldn't handle being oppressed by the Roman Empire and all of these sorts of things. But Jesus came and was able to find the fullness of life in God in in the midst of everything that everyone else despised because faith had got to the deepest part of him. He saw the whole world differently. He saw suffering as something that would form him. He saw death as something that would save. It transformed everything. And faith wants to do the same with us. Faith is living as if what God says is true. Faith is learning to live, aligning yourself to a reality that is beyond your five senses. You can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't touch it, you can't taste it, and you can't whatever the last one is. I think I only said four. Anyway, but faith comes from hearing, but not our natural hearing, like the hearing that comes from the Word of God a supernatural hearing, a soul hearing. It doesn't come from seeing, it doesn't come from touching. And when we align our lives to that which we cannot see, we are living a life of faith. It's going to be a year of joy. Anyone need some more joy in their lives? Can never have too much joy unless you're really grumpy and that really joyful person came to see you and you're like, just get away from me because I want to wallow in my non-joy. Psalm 1611, you should make this a memory verse for the year. 1611, Psalm 1611, you will show me the way of life. 
granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Or in another version, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. You know, as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus here, you understand that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So there's nowhere you can go where you are not in God's presence. Here we're in God's presence. At home you can be in God's presence. At work, at school, in God's presence. And not only that, when you give your life to the Lord, He actually imparts His Holy Spirit as an indwelling presence. You have like a double portion of God's presence, if there is such a thing. You've got the omnipresence and the indwelling presence, and in His presence is the fullness of joy. Sometimes to tap into the joy, you just need to take a moment to become aware of the God who's in you and with you everywhere you go. Nehemiah 6.10 said that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The joy. Paul said in Philippians 4.4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And I just believe over each one of us and over our church, there's a greater joy coming. There's an ease, there's a delight. Through all the hardship, joy is going to be your present companion. And last but not least, a year of fulfillment. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, There is a time for everything. Under the sun, everything has a time, or something like that. There's a time for everything. And it goes on, it gives this like long list, like there's a time to gather and there's a time to scatter. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to celebrate. There's a time for everything. And our life goes through patterns. And uh, the old people in the room, you'll, you'll know this pattern. And the younger people, you'll learn the pattern. The pattern goes like this. God speaks things. He speaks prophetic words. He speaks promises. He speaks future and then there's the in-between time. That's most of our life. There's the, the waiting for it, and the toiling for it, and the trying not to doubt it, and trying to stay faithful in it. There's the in-between, and then there's the times of fulfillment. That's how it goes. And then God speaks, and we wait, and we toil, and we doubt, and we stay faithful and we stay the path. We try to bite our tongue and just keep praises rather than doubt coming off them. And we just stand the journey and then he fulfills. And I've been through a few of those in life and no doubt with different things, they overlap in different ways. I just felt so strongly. It's a year of fulfillment. It's a time where for many people, the waiting period, is coming to an end. The things spoken long ago, the things promised in times just gone by, you've stayed faithful, you've stayed the course, and the fulfillment is coming. The fulfillment is coming. And I don't know who that's for here, but I know it's for many people. 
a year of fulfillment. I think we're going to see words fulfilled over individual lives. And man, we've got some pending words and pending promises over this church that we are excited to see us step into together. Man, we've been through seasons before where God has spoken and we've had the testing and then God has fulfilled and we're like, who could have thought God could do this? And God has spoken and we've had times and then it's fulfilled. And man, we've been through a time over the last few years of waiting for what God has spoken to be fulfilled again. And so it's a year of fulfillment. We sang it tonight, but in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, it says, for all of God's promises, the hundreds and hundreds of them that are in this book have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Jesus coming to this earth, Jesus giving us the example of what it means to live a life that truly pleases God and Jesus being our sacrifice and breaking the power of sin and death on the cross and in his resurrection is God's yes to everything he spoke. There was a time of speaking, there was a time of waiting, and Jesus is the big yes of fulfillment and we live in the Jesus time. We live in the time of fulfillment and through Christ, our amen, our yes, God, ascends to heaven for his glory. I'm just believing for a lot of fulfillment this year. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a reimagining year. It's going to be a year of changes. It's going to be a year of what was next? Prayer. A year of faith. A year of joy. And a year of fulfillment. Psalm 65 verse 11 says what? He crowns the year with a bountiful harvest. He crowns the year with goodness. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance.